Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. I have a couple of stories I want to share with you um, that will serve as kind of a some illustrations for what we're talking about today. If you remember uh, last week, we were talking about the Samaritan opposition, how they're, they're trying to go through Samaria to get to Jerusalem because Jesus is trying to get to the cross, like on purpose for us. But people try to hold him up. Now, it's interesting to note, and I didn't mention this last week, but it's interesting to note, Jesus, if I have to do something hard, I will oftentimes, it's like when you tell your kids, go clean your room and they have to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? Like, then they're gone for an hour and you're like, come on, really? Now? Really? If I have to go through something difficult, I would love to take the long way around. The quickest way to Jerusalem from where Jesus is is directly through Samaria. But they're not having it. And so Jesus has to take the alternative route, which is really kind of cool that Jesus took the shortest, the shortest path. I want to get there as quick as I can. But he was held up and was forced to go around. That's how much he cared for us. Uh, so, so we're talking about they, they got held up, and then James and John, who they refer to in the book of Mark as the sons of thunder, said, these people aren't being nice. Um, do you want us to burn them up? Call down fire and burn them up. Jesus turned and looked at them, if you remember. What's wrong with you? So now this week, they have got through Samaria. Now they're, they're kind of on their way towards Jerusalem. Maybe they're still in Samaria, but my guess is they're in, in Jewish country uh, yet again. Because Jesus is approached by three individuals. Actually, he's approached by two individuals, and he approaches a third. And the topic is discipleship. Now Luke lists this out on purpose, specific. And there's three, there's three conversations that happen. Now, this version of Jesus will step right on your toes. Will step right, maybe right on your heart. Um, this version of Jesus will step right in the middle of you because it just seems so harsh in our American minds. So, let's read this passage, Luke chapter 9, starting verse 57. <clears throat> As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury the dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Wow, Jesus. Now, if you remember correctly, we had some disciples kind of abandon Jesus just a little bit ago. There's kind of some hard teaching there, and some of them kind of just kind of, kind of bounced out. It's got people all the time who are rejecting Jesus. 
always reject. He goes to Samaria, rejection. Now think about this. If we want to grow a church, automatically one of the things that comes to mind is this, numbers. Because for whatever reason, in America, when it comes to church, the best measuring device is numbers. What kind of, how good is your business? How successful is your product? It's based on the bottom line where the little dollar sign is. That's what matters most, the dollar sign, the number. What is your worth? When it comes to building a church, in America at least, this is the same idea. The more people, the better the product, right? Not necessarily. I don't know if you've ever been to big churches, to, to big churches. There are some great things that they do and do well. It is seamless. There's no dead time. It's seamless. They start on time. Get ushers in the parking lot. They got security team in the foyer. Like it is, it is a, I mean, a fine-tuned machine. But listen, if we get all of that right and we fail at delivering the gospel, we're loving our neighbor. All we have is a really good concert. That's it. I think there are some big churches who are doing a great job, but measuring device is not numbers all the time. And so now Jesus has been rejected over and over and over. And now they get to Samaria and everybody's kind of got the same idea. Like these people are rejecting Jesus. Doesn't, we want everybody to get on board. And then he has a couple of people approach him and Jesus rejects them. Think about the disciples for just a second. The disciples are there thinking, uh, so we're going to build this army. We're going to amass this big group. We're going to take over everything. We're going to spread the gospel. We might even take Rome. Like this is going to be a good thing. And then Jesus is getting picky about who's following him. Wow. That's awfully picky. Really, Jesus? You got a guy who says, I will follow you anywhere. In 2000, March of 2003, our world kind of changed. The U.S. invaded Iraq, and our televisions were covered with camo-clad young men being put into people transporters, and they were going overseas. We were going to go to the sandbox. Everything that I saw on television was these young men Many of them look lost, scared, worried. I, had, I was just married not, not very long ago, not very long before this. And all I could think was, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. I've got, a, I've got an uncle who was an army ranger, and I've got a cousin who was a marine sniper, and I thought maybe it's military. Maybe that's what I want to go do. And I got pretty, pretty geared up. Like I, got back in shape like we could do this is it this is the thing I could go be a chaplain I know the Lord's kind of wanting me to go to ministry but I'll be a chaplain I'll just do it in the military this would be great a Bible and a gun this would be cool this could be really cool so go down to the recruiting office of course they're always excited to see you at the recruiting office I don't know if you've ever been but always excited fellow what's going on how are you? How are you? You ready? You know, all this. They're all amped up. I said, yeah, I think I'm interested in, uh, in joining. Of course you are, because you're a man. You're a real man. That's exactly what you're made of. It's all man. Of course you want to go. I'm like, yes, maybe I do. I do. I want to be, I want to 
be a man when I grow up. Of course I do. She's getting out all the assessment papers, and we sit and we talk, and we're talking about education, and you know, I was going to finish school in, in another semester or so, and this is going to be, this is the thing. And I was, it was there. I had, my wife was praying, Kate, she was praying about it, I had friends praying about it. I said, man, this is the thing. Like, I was excited. I'm on my way to make a difference. Those young men overseas, they need me. A few days later, I go home, and I'm sitting on the couch. Um, I come home from school, and, and I sit down on the couch, and my wife walks in, and she hands me this odd-shaped-looking thermometer uh, with two blue lines on it. I said, yeah. She's like, um, mm -hmm. what? She's like, uh, I'm pregnant. I never went back to the recruiting office. Never. I thought I was excited about that. But it was only because, like the young boys I was seeing on TV, I think I was a little lost, a little scared, not really knowing what I was going to do next either. I wasn't zealous for the cause. I think those uniforms look cool though, you know? I like all the attention that a uniformed guy gets. That's kind of cool. But when it came down between that and this, this was different for me. I didn't know about me in the sense of the sacrifices that a military man makes are huge. The sacrifices that they make are huge. And I wasn't ready to make those sacrifices. I didn't have it in me. I was not wired that way. I couldn't do it. This man approaches Jesus and says, I will follow you anywhere. Goes into the Jesus recruiting office. He's all amped up. I will go. Where do you want me to go? The Bible and a gun. We're going to get Rome. We're going to take it for Jesus. We're going to do this thing. And Jesus turns and looks at him and he says, Are you ready to get rid of the creature comforts that you've grown so accustomed to? Whoa, hold on. See, for me, I don't like to be hot. Have you noticed? When you come in here and it's 54 degrees and you're like, oh, God, this is going to be, at least we won't fall asleep, right? I don't like to be hot. How do you think I'm going to do in long sleeves, pants and boots, in the middle of the Middle Eastern heat? Not good. I was not ready to give up the sacrifices of I like to be comfortable. I am, here's what I've learned about myself over the years. I am a cheeseburger. Like that's what I am. 100% American cheeseburger. Like that's it. Like I just like the conveniences of living here. I'm not made for that. I can't muster that kind of sacrifice up, but some can. And, the, and this guy comes to Jesus and says, I will follow you anywhere until it comes right down to it. And Jesus says to him, you realize that I don't have a home, right? I don't have a home. Foxes have better homes than me. The birds that fly in the air, they're doing a little bit better than I am when it comes to, you know, hey, Jesus, what's your address? 
Catch me if you can. And that's it. And the implication of this passage is that this guy didn't follow. Guy didn't follow. Second one. He said to another man, follow me. And the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. That's interesting, isn't it? He is listening to Jesus preach and either his father is dead or recently died and he needs to go back and bury Now, it's not like us. It, the Jewish custom was this. Because of the weather, because of what they had uh, to preserve the body, it was minimal. When you died, we buried you that same day. This is what you did. For him to say, oh, Jesus, I would love to, but I got to go bury my father. First of all, if your dad just died just now, what are you doing here? Right? What are you doing here? Obviously, it's not a real great relationship, and you're looking for a good excuse. But it could be this. The Jewish idea was also this. If your father was old and aging, then you didn't go very far from there until your father had passed, and then you took care of that, and then you moved on with your life. So it could be that the father was still alive, kicking, doing well. 75, 80, still working on the farm. And this guy's saying, ah, I would love to follow you, Jesus, but uh, my father's still kind of, you know, kicking along, and somebody needs to kind of take care of him. My father invited me one time into a, an amazing situation. But I didn't fully understand it. 1994, 95. He rolls out of the garage, my very favorite jungle gym, a 1956 Buick Super. Now, I have pictures of this car, I'll show them to you sometime. They're, they're so, so cool. It's a four-door, but it didn't have the post between the back and the front. Does it make sense? So when you rolled down the front window and the back window, it was a wide open gap from the very corner of the windshield to the back windshield. It had a 322. It was Buick's kind of uh, V8. 322. Factory headers, Dynaflow, a Dynaflow transmission, and the ignition was on the foot feed. So you turn the key on, and then when you pushed the gas pedal, it started the car. It was two-tone orange with mint green and white interior. And when you took it out on the road, it, was, it, was, it weighed 4,600 pounds. And when you put it out on the road, it just floated. And it would just purr. It hadn't ran for 15 years. In fact, my dad brought me home in the hospital in that in 1977. And it parked in our garage, and I'd never seen it driven. And he said, do you want to fix her up? Do I want to? Are you kidding me? Of course I want to. But his idea of, do you want to fix her up? And my idea of, do you want to fix her up? It's completely different. Because for my dad, it was this. High hopes. Restore the car. You know what mine was? Let's drive it. Just, if it drives, it's good and it's restored. It's on the road, we're driving it. And his idea was, 
Replace the stuff that's broken. Clean it up. Do it right. And all I could think to myself was, we should drive it and cruise for chicks. Like, that's all I could think. Chicks love orange cars. I don't know if that's true, but... Actually, I know that's not, tr that's not true. It's actually not true. So, four tires, an electric fuel pump, a battery, some spark plugs. He goes out, he fires this thing up. I polish it. Turtle wax, turtle wax made more money that year um, than any year that they've ever been in existence because I polished that Buick, all 947 square feet of it, because it's 18 foot long, it's huge. I, I wax this car all the time. It looks so good. I did nothing else to it. The gas gauge didn't work. There was a hole in the floorboard. You could see the highway. His idea of restore and my idea of restore were different. When Jesus called this man, come follow me, this man assumed that what Jesus was thinking was, any old time will work. Just whenever you get around to it. He tells Jesus, oh, gee, I would love to. I would love to. But could you hold my place in line? Have you ever been standing in line for an event and then all of a sudden 47 people come up and stand in front of the guy that's in front of you? Because there was one ambassador who was sent to save 47 places. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to be the third guy in the door. No, you're going to be the 50th now. That's what you're going to be now. And he wants Jesus to save him a place. Just save me a place. I'll be there. I'll be there. I promise. I'll be there. Jesus' response to him. Let the dead bury their own dead. As for you... You go proclaim the gospel. Let the dead bury their dead? That's harsh. That's harsh. But what Jesus is saying is this. Is your life in a constant pattern of waiting on life to happen? Are you waiting on life to happen? Are you waiting for your father to die? This is what he's saying to the guy. Are you waiting for your father to die so that you can go forward and live? What are you waiting on in your life? Well, I was going to get right with God, but I kind of got some other things I'm working on right now, so I, I don't think I will right away. I want to commit, but I don't know that I'm there just yet. Got some big changes that I need to make in life, but I'm not ready to make them yet. See, when the Lord calls, he's not suggesting, hey, just whenever you get around to it. He's saying, come follow me. Do you want life? Then stop waiting on the dead. There are so many different times in my life, and I'm sure in yours, to where you have spent so much energy and so much time with people around you who are absolutely lifeless, and if anything, are sucking the life out of you and Jesus is saying what are you waiting on what are you waiting on there should be no waiting come follow me do you want life yes I want life but only after my father dies no 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 only after he has gotten everything from me that he needs then I'm ready to give you what you want Jesus and Jesus says no 
We can only offer to the people around us who are dead the life that we get from Jesus Christ after we have followed him. Only then. There's a third encounter that Jesus has. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, this one's kind of tricky. This one's kind of tricky. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, a man who is worth his weight, a good man, is a man who provides for his family. Because if he does not, he is worse than an unbeliever. He's worse than a pagan. And now Jesus is saying, you want to go say goodbye to your family? Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Time out. Can we just be... Sometimes I think Jesus goes overboard. No, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. But sometimes you read it and you think, that's pretty heavy. This guy wants to follow Jesus, but he just wants to go home and say goodbye. Just let me go say goodbye, and I'll be right back. Jesus says, if you keep looking back now, then you'll keep looking back when we're on the road. You know what's funny is that it's a military word. You know what he's he's asking Jesus for? A leave of absence. From what? If you go, if you sign, if you get a new job, and they say, uh, okay, so, all right, we're ready to get rolling. Can you start on Monday? Actually, I can't start on Monday. I'm going to spend the next two weeks on vacation. Can I use those vacation days now? Excuse me? I mean, now that I'm working here, how, many, how much vacation time do I have? Because I would like to go ahead and use some of those now. You, 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 haven't, even pun- you haven't even punched the clock one hour yet. Yeah, but do I, get, do I get some time off? Time off from what? And this guy is asking Jesus, can I go ahead and get my vacation now? I need to go home, take some time off, talk to my family, and then I will, I will, come, I will come right back. Is that okay? I need to go say goodbye to my family. We need to talk about something, a very tender topic for just a second. The American church, the American culture, we have taken, we talked about this just a little bit a couple weeks ago. We have elevated children and the idea of family to just below the Holy Trinity. Can we agree on that? Just below the Holy Trinity. Some of you are like, yeah, and what's the problem? Here's the problem. Oftentimes, anything that is that close to God can easily overtake God. Here's what happens a lot of times in the world. Now, I've only been in ministry for like 15 years, okay? Only, only been in ministry, so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not an expert in this. I haven't ran any studies, but I can tell you what I've seen and who I've talked to and the people that I've visited with and the main thoughts and ideas. Here's what it is. Many times when people come in and they want to talk about their marriage and there's some aspect of their marriage that is broken or they cannot get along, more than 50% of the time, do you know what the problem is? Children. We disagree about children. 
And it's always the same story. One thinks the child needs coddled more, and one thinks it needs to be sent off to the foreign legion. Like that's, that's typically where it goes. And so we have these two opposing views and, and we can't get along. If we cannot handle children, if we cannot serve in our marriages and be good at marriage because of children, how will we follow Christ? How, how, will, we, how will we follow Christ? See, because here's what we do. When we elevate children to, this is 50% of the time that the people that I get to visit with. When we elevate children above marriage, here's what we teach children. We coddle and cater to every single phobia or unhappiness that they have because the main goal in raising kids, as far as is concerned in America, is this. They must remain happy all the time. Agreed? This is, what we, this is how we live. They must be happy all the time. Little Billy can't be sad. If little Billy's sad, we're either going to get him a pill or we're going to buy him a bike. This is the only way because Billy has to be happy all the time. If Billy's sad, then the whole family falls apart. Have you heard phrases like this? We've got to keep Billy happy. So here's what we teach Billy. Number one, a very unrealistic idea of the way the world works because there will be a time, Mom and Dad, when Billy will leave your house and you know what will happen? The world will kick him in the chops. They will not cater to Billy. And Billy will be like, ah, my mommy always put the peanut butter on first. And then somebody's going to say, you're an idiot, Billy. Get lost. It will always happen. It is an unrealistic expectation, unrealistic idea of the way the world works. Here's what else happens that's broken. Is that we teach Billy marriage comes second. Thus, Billy has no idea when he gets married how to be married. Because we have spent our existence avoiding our marriage to cater to Billy. And so we don't teach our kids how to handle the most complicated relationship they're ever going to have in their entire life. This is why the church statistic on divorce is the same as that outside the church. 50%. We have the answer. We have the answer. But even worse than that, do you know what Billy grows up and turns into? This guy. I would like to, I would, I want to follow Jesus. I really do want to, but, but I need to go tell my mom, I need to go tell my mom bye. I need to go tell my mommy bye. Todd, just a second. Let me read this again. Verse 61. Still another said, Another what? Another what? Yeah. Man. Another, another man. Another man said, yes, Jesus, I would like to follow you, but I need to go kiss my mommy by first. Let me say it one more time. Another man said, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I need to go give my mommy a kiss before I go. Please stop coddling Billy. He won't make a good disciple. He won't like Jesus very much at all. We have to get to the place to where 
we understand our job as parents is to first and foremost love the Lord to be tender with them to care for them to teach them to discipline them when we can do these kind of things reinforce it so that these kids understand loving Jesus is number one loving Jesus is number one do you know what happens if you stop coddling Billy and if your son's name's Billy I'm sorry I'm not, I'm not picking on you specifically if we begin to follow Jesus do you know what he will make you a very good parent if you devote your life to Jesus you know what he'll make you a very good mom a very good dad that's what he'll do because it's in his nature and so then he asks of us love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and all your soul I need to go say goodbye to my family and Jesus' response is this. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Do you know what I hear in here? This, I think this man needs an audience. I think he needs to run home and he needs to say to his mom, guess what? I'm going to go follow Jesus everywhere and then wait for mom or dad or brothers or sisters or friends to say, oh, good for you. There's this thing called um, the collective conscience, okay? The collective conscience. There are unspoken rules that happen in here all the time. There are unspoken rules that we all live by all the time. There are certain things that we do and we don't do while we're in here that we believe all together as a group. And if somebody were to do something kind of strange, everybody would be like, oh, that's weird. For instance, let me give you one. If your phone rings while you're in here, everyone will look at you. If you answer it, everybody will look at me. It's just the rule. The phone rings and everybody's like, come on, turn it off. But if you pick it up and you're like, hey, what's going on? No, I'm in church right now. Then everybody turns and looks at me. Why? Because that's just the wrong spoken rule. That's what's going to happen. Because you're going to be like, oh, you're not okay with this, are you? You've got to check that guy, right? <laughs> this is what happens. There are all these unspoken rules, this collective conscience that exists around us all the time. Think about it like this. Uh, I heard a guy give a, give a speech on this at one point. And he was talking about birds. Have you ever seen a group of birds fly and then bank left, bank right, bank left. They go up in the air and then they drop all as a group. Have you seen this happen? Do you think there's one in there that's yelling, left, <laughs> right, drop. But yet, like just in perfect uniformity, they just go. When we get around each other, this is what happens. We begin to grow from one another. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You see, there is something worse than coddling Billy. There's something worse. That is if we never cut Billy loose and send him into the world. If we never send him out there and say, now, you need to go out there and this is going to hurt. If he always stays, then he can never follow he can never follow. And see, the family collective conscience works this way. I grew up in a home where my mom and dad are both Christians, and they raised us in church all the time. They loved us. They cared for us. Uh, it was a, it was a good, good family, good family. 
but I do not parent my children like my mom and dad parented me. My guess is you don't parent your kids like your parents parented you, correct? Why? It worked for you. Because what happens is this. At some point, we break away from the collective conscience of the family and we go, I disagree with the way that went down. I think I needed more supervision than my mom and dad gave me. I think I needed less supervision than my mom and dad gave me. I think I needed more encouragement than my mom and dad gave me. I think I needed more chores than my mom and dad gave me. And we parent different. But see, here's what happens. If we never leave, like the book of Genesis says, man and woman will be married, they will get together, and then they will leave their family and cleave to one another. They will break the collective group conscience, consciousness over here, and they will go form their own. If they do not, then you know what you have? You have Billy, who is a full-grown man, living over here under mommy's ideas, and he never develops his own. Thus, mommy's voice is always louder than God's cannot hear Jesus speak to them because mommy is speaking all the time. There's still times to where I hear my dad's voice. I'll be doing something and I'll hear his voice and, and he will move. It will be a, a memory that, ah, that's exactly how you do that. But there are other times to where situations go down in my house and I will hear my father's voice and I'll be like, no, bad idea. We're not going to do it that way. We're not going to do it that way. Now, this isn't to uh, criticize, criticize my dad. We were raised in a day and age when kids got a lot of spankings, right? Some of you were there. You got a lot of spankings. And so to be spanked was kind of a normal thing. Like, everybody I knew got spankings all the time. Everybody. Not long ago, I had a belt in my hand, and I was walking through the house, and I was, I was putting my belt away or something. And I just thought to myself, my kids would lose their mind if I ever walked in with a belt and I slapped it on something, like on a, on a dresser or something, and said, somebody's getting a whipping. Who wants a whipping? Like, so they would lose their mind if this happened. And I went into the bedroom and I smacked the dresser in my, in my daughter's room as hard as I could with the belt. Whack! I mean, just echoed through the house. And I, just, and I mean, I got this nasty look on my face and I said, who wants a whipping? And my oldest daughter turns and looks at me and she goes, a whipping? Just like that. A whipping? I looked at my younger daughter and I said, you want a whipping? And she goes, no. Like they couldn't even compute the word. Now, if that would have happened to me in my house when I was growing up, you want a whipping? No. No. No, I, I will go mow the lawn. I will, whatever I didn't do, I'll go do. Whatever I did, my brother did it. I didn't, um, I don't want a whipping. No. Why? Because I understand what... I have a point of reference for what a whipping is. My, my, my daughters, you want a whipping? A <laughs> whipping? I don't even... Absolutely no idea. This is a break in the collective consciousness of the way we were raised. No. We're going to do things differently. Does that mean my kids haven't been spanked? No, my kids have been spanked. But not, not like they used to do it in the 80s. Right? <laughs> it's a little different deal. A little different deal. There's got to be a break in that. If there's not a break in the collective consciousness, if we don't find a way to raise our kids, prepare them for the world, and then send them out, they will never cut off from, they will never cut off from our voice. They will never hear the voice of the Lord. 
Your faith is not enough to carry your children. Your faith cannot be your children's faith. You did not come to faith because your mom and dad came to faith and now you're just riding on their, on their coattails through that. does not work that way. It is a relationship that you and Jesus forge. He paves the way and you accept the invitation when he says, come follow me. There's got to be a, a higher standard of the way we raise children, we teach children. Otherwise, this is the result. And what Jesus says is this. If you need an audience and you need attaboys, have you ever seen kids who do this? Like everything they do, they play basketball and then they're, they're playing basketball and they shoot, the, they shoot a basket and instead of they miss and they don't follow the ball, they don't get the rebound, instead of looking to the coach, they look up into the bleachers at their mom and dad. Have you seen this? Drives you insane, doesn't it, coach? Drives you insane. Like, look at me. Your dad's a mechanic. I'm a basketball coach. Pay attention to me, right? You lose your mind. And I see it and it drives me. Don't look at me. Do not look at me. I don't want to see it. And what Jesus is saying is this. If at every step of the way, you need your mommy to come along and pat you on the back and say, good job, Scooter, you're doing great. You and Jesus are not going to get along very well. This is the collective consciousness. Now we grow and we learn, we become better. And Jesus' words to him is, a man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Why? Because, have you ever tried to mow your grass looking backwards? Do it this next week. Let me know. Let me know what the lawn looks like, would you? Drive your car using the rearview mirror instead. Anybody up for that challenge? Do it on a different road than where I live. No, why? Because you can't see what you're doing. If you're looking back now and the journey hasn't even began, what are you going to be doing when we get on the road and things get hard? You're going to go home going to go home. And Jesus says, I need a tougher group of disciples. You see, discipleship is not optional. When we give our life to Christ, this is what we become. This is what he calls us to. And yes, we mature and we grow and we, and we, and we have to make some of these moves slowly. But he is calling us to this level of discipleship. No. No, 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 no. You're not fit for the kingdom of heaven if it's only about that. Family does not come first in the kingdom of God. Family does not come first. Jesus comes first in the kingdom of God. And in turn, Jesus will give you love for your family. He will give you love for your family. Let's pray, um, and we will we'll get out of here.